0: Find out more by going to www.intelligencesquared.com forward slash partnerships.
1: Hello and welcome to this week's Intelligence Squared podcast with me, Farah Jassat.
2: And me, Daniel ben Corin.
1: This week, we had a really fiery debate on stage. A lot of you have been speaking about it on social media, so we're very excited to be putting up this podcast. Let us know what you think by using the hashtag IQ2. The debate was anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Daniel produced the debate. Daniel, who were the speakers?
3: So speaking for the motion, we had Melanie Phillips, who writes for the Jerusalem Post and the Times. And she was alongside Anat Wilf, former member of the Knesset in Israel. And they were up against Mehdi Hassan of The Intercept, alongside Ilan Pape, the Israeli historian.
1: And chairing the debate, we had Carrie Gracie, the BBC News
3: presenter. Like Farah said, it was a really fiery debate and we hope the podcast gives you a sense of what the tension in the room was like on the night.
1: And if you're based in the UK and are interested in coming to an Intelligence Squared debate, our next one is in the autumn on September the 25th. The debate motion is the West should pay reparations for slavery. If you're interested, go on our website at intelligencesquared.com. And we're offering a special 20% discount to our podcast listeners. Just enter the code PODCAST at the checkout. We hope you enjoy
4: listening. Good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to you all. And uh, it is great to see such a full house for this debate and the motion of our debate tonight. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. Anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. There is so much meaning packed into those words, meaning which stretches down the centuries and meaning which reaches into the lives ...of millions of people today. Anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, these terms are very fraught. Anti-Zionism, often de- defined as opposition to the existence of a Jewish state... ...in the territory defined as the historic land of Israel or Palestine. Anti-Semitism, most often defined as hostility, prejudice or discrimination against Jews... Now, surveys suggest that Israel is one of the most disliked nations in the world, along with Iran and North Korea, but how much of this is driven by policies of the Israeli state and how much is a cover for age-old hatred of the Jews? These are the questions we will examine this evening. So let's go to our first speaker for the motion, Melanie Phillips, who is a journalist, broadcaster and author. She has a weekly column in the Times newspaper. She writes for the Jerusalem Post and Jewish Chronicle. Melanie, the floor is yours.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, I never visited Israel at all until the year 2000, and I never wanted to go there it didn't sound the kind of place which had anything to offer me. So, when in the year 2000, I objected as a matter of sheer rationality and justice, that while Israelis were being blown to bits in buses and cafes during what was called the Second Intifada, they were being called Nazis for dealing with the perpetrators, I was astounded to be immediately attacked as a Jew. I was accused immediately of dual loyalty, of being too Jewish, and of waving the shroud of the Holocaust to sanitize the crimes of Israel. Well, I think you can see the same pattern in today's Labour Party crisis over anti-Semitism, in which anti-Semitic motifs about Jewish global conspiracies are conflated with attacks on Israel. At one meeting, Jeremy Corbyn noted of two Zionist opponents in the audience that despite, quote, having lived in this country for a very long time, they don't understand English irony using the smear that as British Jews, they didn't actually belong in Britain. The Palestine solidarity campaign is riddled with anti-Semitic comments such as that the Paris Bataclan massacre was a false flag operation to increase support for Israel or that Kristallnacht was instigated by communist and Freemason Jews to promote war against Germany. Today, a German neo-Nazi group has linked to the BDS movement, noting with approval its efforts to isolate the Zionist aggressor state in defense of the rights of Palestinian people. The language of BDS and the far right is interchangeable. Those who say anti-Zionism is not anti-Semitism would have us believe that all this is simply a coincidence. I say it is not, and that anti-Zionism is weaponizing anti-Semitism, and this is why. Let's define, first of all, what we're talking about. What is Zionism? Nothing more or less than the self-determination of the Jewish people in their ancient homeland of Israel. What is antisemitism? A delusional hatred and fear of Jews, Judaism, or the Jewish people. But antisemitism is not like other prejudices. It has unique characteristics applied to no other group, people, or cause, such as an obsessional and unhinged narrative based entirely on lies, accusing Jews of crimes of which they are not only innocent but the victims, holding them to standards expected of no one else, depicting them as global conspiracy of unique malice and power. Amazing, anti-Zionism has exactly the same characteristics. Don't get me wrong. Criticism of Israel's policies, robust criticism, is entirely legitimate. But anti-Zionism is different. Anti-Zionism demonizes, dehumanizes, and delegitimizes Israel in order to bring about its destruction. You may hear some of this slander this evening. The lie, for example, that Israel is an apartheid state, when Israeli Arabs have equal civil and religious rights. The lie of ethnic cleansing, when the Arab population in the disputed territories has more than quadrupled since Israel's rebirth in 1948. The lie that the Israelis are willful child killers, when they in fact go to unique lengths to avoid killing civilians in their always defensive wars and when the ratio of civilians to fighters that the Israelis kill is at least three or four times better than any other country, including Britain. The lie of Israel's human rights violations, when it's the only country in the Middle East where Arab, Muslims and Christians, women and gays can live in freedom and safety. Fundamentally, anti-Zionism is based on the big lie that the Jews seized and occupied another people's land. But history and law show that's completely untrue. The Jews are the only extant indigenous people of the land. Israel was their kingdom more than 3,000 years ago. Driven out when it was occupied, they maintained a continuous presence in the land under the waves of colonialism, Assyrian, Roman, Abbasid, Mamluk, Ottoman, the British. They fought off Arab colonialists to re-establish their state in 1948 and are still fighting off Arab colonialism. The Palestine Mandate of 1922, which parceled out the former Ottoman Empire, enshrined their right to settle throughout that land, a right that endures unaltered in international law. The law also entitles Israel to hold on to land seized from its attackers, while that land remains the launchpad for attacks, demonstrably true. The Jews are therefore fully entitled to live in both Israel and the disputed territories, even though they have always agreed to share it with those Arabs who lay a claim to it. But the Palestinians have refused to share it and have responded to repeated offers of a state of their own with terrorism and war. Israel is the only place where Jewish peoplehood makes sense, but anti-Zionism singles out the Jewish people alone as having no right to their homeland. Of course, many groups aspire to a homeland, but Israel is not an inspiration. Israel is a country... No other actual country is singled out for destruction and the mass murder that would inescapably follow. No one tells the Kurds, for example, their aspiration to a homeland is illegitimate and racist. People say Zionism is racism because of the big lie the Jews stole the land. Anti-Zionism thus writes the Jews uniquely out of their own history. It is an anti-Jewish calumny. Now, people say anti-Zionism can't be anti-Semitism because some Jews are anti-Zionist, very true. But in fact, there have always been Jewish anti-Semites, Karl Marx to name but one, who wrote, the emancipation of the Jews is the emancipation of mankind from Judaism. Yes, a small fringe of ultra-Orthodox Jews campaigns against the state of Israel, but they nevertheless pray every day that the Jews should return to live in Zion free of foreign rule. Their beef is they think the return in Israel is premature and should happen under different conditions, so their problem is a matter of timing. What they do not believe is the core doctrine of anti-Semitism, that the Jews have no right to the land of Israel. Now, there's a vital distinction to be made between anti-Semites and anti-Semitism. Many, many decent people believe these lies about Israel out of ignorance or ideology. That does not make them necessarily anti-Semites. But the discourse they endorse is still anti-Semitism's current mutation. Moreover, by supporting Palestinianism, they are supporting not just anti-Zionism, but anti-Semitism too. The Palestinians' real agenda, not two states but exterminating Israel and replacing it by Palestine, as they repeatedly have told us over the years, is based on an anti-Jewish animus. The evidence of this is all around. Mahmoud Abbas's doctorate in Holocaust denial, his hero worship of the 1930s Grand Mufti in Jerusalem, Haj Amin al-Husseini, who made a pact with Hitler to exterminate every Jew in the Middle East. The grotesque Nazi-style imagery of Palestinian propaganda, such as sermons claiming the Jews are the fabricators of history who dance and live on the body parts of others. There is no global corruption their rabbis did not allow. Palestinian claims that the Jews are behind 9-11 and that they control the world's media, finance, and U.S. foreign policy. This unhinged, murderous anti Semitism drives the Palestinian cause. Does anyone therefore seriously suggest that people in this country who support this cause and who say that the Jews were behind 9 11 and controlled the world's media, finance, and US foreign policy, that this really is just a coincidence? And if our opponents this evening really do believe anti Zionism is free from anti Semitism, will they denounce this Palestinian agenda of genocidal, Nazi style Jew hatred? This is not an academic debate. When I grew up in London, anti-Semitism was confined to a few nutters on the fringes who were treated as pariahs, and now it's been legitimised. Not surprisingly, anti-Semitic attacks are running at record levels. And what's so distressing is to hear our right as Jews to our own peoplehood being singled out as illegitimate and to hear the unhinged and obsessional lies and distortions about Israel become the default position of fashionable conversation. And then, in, on top of that, then to be told that the claim that people like myself make that these are anti-Semitic conspiracy theories is itself a conspiracy got up by the Israel Embassy and it's supposed to be we Jews who have no sense of English irony. Anti-Semitism, in conclusion, ladies and gentlemen, always attacks Jews as a collective. First it attacked us as a religion. Then it attacked us as a race of people. Now it attacks us as a people, as the collective Jew in Israel, with exactly the same characteristics as Jew hatred through the centuries. The aim to be free of Jews now takes the form of the aim to be free of the Jewish state, Anti Zionists treat Israel as a Jew among nations to be uniquely vilified, slandered and exterminated. That, ladies and gentlemen, is why anti Zionism is the new anti Semitism.
4: Thank you, Melanie. So now, our first speaker against the motion, Ilan Pape, is an Israeli historian, an anti Zionist activist, a professor at the University of Exeter. He has challenged traditional versions of Israeli history. Ilan Pape, you have the floor for 10 minutes.
2: The equation that is being put in front of you tonight is both outrageous and ridiculous. If only because it makes every Palestinian in the world, almost everyone who lives in the Arab and Muslim world, anyone who regards themselves as liberal or on the left, it turns all these people into anti-Semites. Whereas quite a few people who regard themselves as Zionists, like the Christian Zionists, are actually anti-Semites themselves. But it is important to challenge it because it was used with some effect to stifle the debate on Palestine in the West. This allegation is used in order to prevent the promotion for positions of power of politicians known for the long-term support for Palestine. By defaming these politicians as anti-Semitic, official Israel and its supporters worldwide hope to bring them down, as in the case of Jeremy Corbyn, or delegitimize them, as in the case of Ilhan Omar, in the American Congress. So this is a good opportunity and an appropriate venue to say loud and clear that if you are against Zionism or if you define yourself as I do and anti-Zionist, you are not anti-Semite, or in my case, a self-hating Jew, which my doctors told me is an incurable disease (laughs) and I would have to live with for the rest of my life. I will make five points, one long one and uh, four or five short ones. Anti-Semitism is an old, ugly attitude that demonizes Jews because of who they are and led in the past to horrendous policies of discrimination and genocide. It still prevails today, and despite the passing of years, it's basically not changed much. Its origins are deeply rooted in the Christian faith and were adopted in more recent years by right-wing supremacists and some extreme Islamic groups. Anti-Zionism, on the other hand, is a new phenomenon, as is Zionism, and dates back to the 1820s when, as you know, Zionism began as a Christian project before it was a Jewish project. And then it was part of an internal debate within uh, evangelical Christianity. Anti-Zionism then was a moral position against romantic nationalism and Christian fundamentalism that today we call Christian Zionism. Christian Zionism is an evangelical belief that the return of the Jews to Palestine would precipitate the second coming of the Messiah, the resurrection of the dead, and the conversion of the Jews to Christianity or their barbecuing in hell. Now, these barbecuing Christians, who are very important, are anti-Semites who want to get rid of all the Jews they don't like and get in return the only Jew they want, Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a double bill. They are today the most important base of President Trump and his ilk, and they are the most important Zionists in the U.S. providing immunity for Israeli policies on the ground. When Jewish activists and intellectuals adopted Zionism in response to anti-Semitism in the late 19th century, their antagonists were mainly other Jews. They were either Orthodox Jews who saw a premature return to Palestine as tempering with the will of God and regarded as a heresy, the substitution of rich monotheistic uh, religion with the ideologically poor modern idea of romantic nationalism. So they were definitely not anti-Semites. Other Jews believed that supporting universal ideologies such as liberalism or socialism would be the answer, and if they had to move geographically from anti-Semitic environments, they preferred to go somewhere else, mainly to the U.S., but not only to the U.S. They were also not anti-Semites. When Zionism became a settler-colonial movement on the ground with the building of Jewish colonies in late Ottoman Palestine, and during the British Mandate, the Palestinian National Movement perceived Zionism as an existential threat to the indigenous people of Palestine. A fear that turned to be valid as transpired with the 1948 ethnic cleansing of the people of Palestine during the Nakba. Opposing the Jewish settlers and their plans for the Palestinians' homeland was not anti-Semitic but anti-colonialist, very much as the Algerians objected to the colonization of Algeria. A small group of the Jewish settlers became anti-Zionists themselves when they consented to live within Arab Palestine as guests, but not as colonizer, as was advocated to them by Mahatma Gandhi in the 1930s. And because of that position, there is not the, uh, he was never honored with a street named after him in Israel, not even a small pathway or a staircase. After the creation of the State of Israel in 1948, Anti-Zionism as an anti-colonialist ideology continued to inform the Palestinian national movement's vision and strategy, as is manifested in the PLO National Charter that calls for the establishment of a democratic, secular state in Palestine that would respect all three religions. In Israel itself, the Communist Party, supported almost exclusively by the Palestinian minority inside Israel, not because of the the Communist ideology, but because it was the only anti-Zionist party Israel allowed to exist, They regarded Zionism as an ideology of discrimination and apartheid. Most scholars today looking at Israel then and today agree that this is a valid point, which again has nothing to do with anti-Semitism. Two, in our century, anti-Zionism is a moral position against the Israeli structural violence directed at the Palestinians, which is attributed by anti-Zionists such as myself to an ideology that is not only endangering the very existence of the Palestinians, but is also very bad for the Jews who live outside or inside Israel. This ideology generates anti-Semitism. Opposing it might bring it down. In our century, anti-Zionism is a scholarly position, a moral stance, and a vision for the future. As a scholarly position, it frames Zionism as settler colonialism, similar to European settlers' movement who went to the Americas, South Africa, and Australia encountering indigenous people and removing them in order to create new homelands for themselves. It's a moral stance that rejects an ideology that imposes an apartheid system inside Israel, a military occupation in the West Bank, and siege on the Gaza Ghetto. It's a vision for the future of a democratic state for all, by restoring justice to the land, by respecting United Nations Resolution 194, calling for the unconditional return of the Palestinian refugees expelled in 1948 and since the Nakba. This may be a utopian view, but it's not an anti-Zionist one, anti-Semitic one. Three, for those who claim that anti-Zionism is a refusal to recognize the right of Israel to exist, we should say that states do not exist by right. They They are founded by historical processes, and they become a fait accompli. The debate is about the nature of the state and the regime. We are all entitled to wish for and work for a better, more just, an egalitarian state for everyone who lives in Israel and Palestine and for those who were expelled from there. Four, in 1975, a vast majority of the United Nations member states defined defined Zionism as a form of racism and racial discrimination. It was passed with the same majority that passed the 1947 resolution recognizing Israel. The difference was that in 1947, the colonized world was not represented in the United Nations. In 1975, it was. When he was still trying to find its way in the post-colonial world, the third world's discourse equated Zionism with continued colonialism. Alas, neoliberalism, corruption, and post-colonial political, imp- and post-colonial political system, uh, corruption in the post-colonial political system, and aggressive American imperialism have casted to the sideways of history this impulse and energy. But at its height and within it, anti-Zionism was part of the wish of the colonized people to build a better and more just world. Again, nothing to do with, anti-Zionism, with anti-Semitism. When the 1975 resolution was revoked in 1991, the debate on Zionism entered a new phase, its present phase. After the horrific events in 9-11 and the so-called War and Terror, the Israeli Hasbara invented the threat of a new anti-Semitism. This was the only way to repel the moral outrage people around the world felt towards the policies of incremental genocide in the Gaza Strip and the brutal oppression of the West Bank. If you voiced criticism against this policy, you were depicted as a new anti-Semite. And the Israeli academia was recruited to provide scholarly uh, scaffolding for such an accusation. The Western elites bought or were intimidated into buying this false allegation. But the civil society, and in particular the younger generation, reject with disgust this attempt to silence them. They know enough to call the bluff and understand the full meaning of solidarity with the Palestinians. They demonstrate in the streets, in their campuses, and join the Palestinians on the ground at the personal cost to show how outrageous it is to call the pure struggle for justice anti-Semitic. If you are an anti-Zionist today, you are not only standing firmly on a sound moral base in condemning this ideology, that generates all these crimes, you are also expressing your disgust at the hypocrisy of your government, mainstream media, and academia. We will not be silenced by false accusation of anti-Semitism, and neither should the British Labour Party be intimidated by cynical media without a moral backbone, or sinister legislation efforts utilizing a justified struggle against terror in order to provide immunity to Palestine's colonizers and oppressors. Finally, the Labour Party is responsible in many ways for the debate we have today. We all know that the so-called revelation of institutional racism, uh, institutional anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, began not on the day that Corbyn was elected as a leader, but after two attempts to depose him and failed. Then suddenly the campaign emerged. I know the force of this campaign of intimidation. I faced it myself. It is ugly, unfair and destabilizing. But the proud party with the historical role of defeating fascism in this country in the 1930s should not so easily succumb to false allegations of anti-Semitism. Finally, we should retake... Let us... Five five sentences. Let us retake the conversation and prioritize it. Let us discuss how to stop the destruction of Palestine and the Palestinians, which the Trump's deal of the century wants to do. Let us... Fight violent fanaticism wherever we encounter it. Uproot racism of all kinds without building a hierarchy of victims and remove silly and outrageous equations like the one titling the event tonight. Thank you.
4: Thank you, Ilan. So, on to our second speaker for the motion, Einat Wolf. And Enat has been a member of the Israeli Knesset for first Labour <laughs> and then the Independence Party between 2010 and 2013, and she has written extensively on Zionism. Einat, the floor is yours for ten minutes.
6: Thank you. So... We seem to all agree that anti-Semitism is bad. Of course, educated, knowledgeable people are unlikely to be seduced by it because we know where it leads, Nazism, Auschwitz, and the gas chambers. But anti-Zionism does not appear to be in the same category. It appears to be good. We heard here that it is about supporting Palestinians. About fighting for human rights, educated, knowledgeable, well meaning people might support it. But the anti Semitism we all acknowledge as bad, when it started, looked nothing like where it led. In fact, when you compare the beginnings of anti Semitism with anti Zionism, the similarities are striking. Anti-Semitism began by creating a new collective designation for the same people, which rendered them different. In secular 19th century Europe, it was no longer Jews, but Semites. And it never was intended to meet anything but Jews. In the Soviet Union, who claimed to not notice different religions and peoples, Jews were designated as Zionists. And today, in the West, in the UK, Zionists, Zios. The designation is then described as having essential, immutable, loathsome qualities. In Christian Europe, we were Christ killers. To the Nazis, we were an impure race. To the Soviets, we were capitalists and imperialists. And today... The state of Israel is the ultimate violator of human rights. It is described as born in sin. It is guilty by its very nature of the crimes of racism, apartheid, ethnic cleansing, Nazism, genocide. The designation of the group and ascribing of essential evil qualities is always given the aura of rationality and respectability, by relying on the greatest source of authority of a given era, religion in pre-modern times, science in the modern era, human rights in our own. The aura of the greatest authority is necessary because the collective transformation of the Jews into a loathsome other requires that one be willing to twist reality if not outright ignore it. It is only by appealing to the authority of religious doctrine that all Jews living in the 12th century could be collectively designated as the killers of Christ over a thousand years earlier. It is only by appealing to the authority of a perverted science that the very Jews who contributed to European society could suddenly be considered as endangering its racial purity. And it is only by appealing to perverted version of human rights that Zionism in Israel could be designated as its greatest violators. It is only by perverting the idea of human rights that those who were actually ethnically cleansed from every part of the Arab world could be accused of ethnic cleansing. It is only through the sort of perversion that the people who repeatedly said yes to partitioning the land into a Jewish state and a Palestinian state could be described as those who stand in the way of a two-state solution. And it is only through this perversion that in an age when the idea of the nation is still tied for almost all states to the idea of a common history, language, ethnicity, and remnants of religion, Israel is singled out as uniquely deviant. But why go to all that effort to single out a group and distort reality? Because we humans have a primal need for scapegoats. And for whatever reason, my people have been the designated scapegoats for so many and for so long. For medieval Christianity, we stood between a brutish and nasty world and salvation. For Germany, for Europe, we stood between them and glory. For Stalin, we stood in the way of communist utopia. And today, why bother fighting colonialism in its aftermath? Easier to designate Zionists as colonialists and blame them. Why do the hard work of fighting racism in its many manifestations across all societies, Easier to designate Zionism as racism and apartheid and blame it. Why acknowledge the tremendous difficulties of living up to the ideals of human rights? Designate Zionism in Israel as its greatest violators and blame them. But the problem with human scapegoats is that unlike ancient animal ones, humans might resist their sacrifice a bit more. And we can't have that happen, can we? So action must be taken to reduce their resistance. How? Strip them of their defenses. Push them to the margins. Step by step, take away that which protects them. But it must be done gradually. Anti-Semitism did not start by stripping Jews of their citizenship, confiscating their assets and pushing them into ghettos. It started by slowly pushing Jews out of the positions they were able to attain after several decades of European emancipation. It operated by making it more and more difficult for Jews to feel comfortable in European society. Anti-Semitism also lured Jews into dropping their defenses, preventing them from organizing against the coming danger, telling them that if they were the good kind of Jew, for example, in Germany, those who fought for Germany in World War I, they would be spared. They were not. Note how anti-Zionism operates now. Its main targets are the two places where Jews have organized most effectively for their defense, the State of Israel and the pro-Israel lobby in the U.S., The legitimacy of both is relentlessly and uniquely questioned. Jews, now designated as Zionists, are increasingly pushed out of certain spaces. Jewish students in the US are slowly pulling out of universities known for their virulent anti-Zionism. Liberal activist Jews are finding they are increasingly unwelcome in progressive circles. Jews here in Britain are finding they can no longer be in the Labour Party, their traditional political home, wondering if they might one day have to leave the country altogether. Anti-Zionism also lures Jews to give up their defenses. We heard it here. Why don't we all live together in a single state? Yes, we know that nowhere in the Arab world have Jews ever been treated as equals and were violently ethnically cleansed when they dared raise their heads. Yes, we know that by national states, certainly in this region, but not only, descend into bloody mayhem. But we assure you, this one will work. Just forgo your insistence on having your own state where you control your defense. Anti-Zionists also insist on their respectability. They will try to convince you that the fact that the targets of this new form of virulent hatred bear a striking resemblance to those who were targets in previous times is sheer coincidence. They will insist that the fact that the charges against this group appear like variations on the ancient themes of anti-Semitism is sheer coincidence. They might even convince you they are fighting anti-Semitism, but the old, easy-to-identify kind, which we already know is bad. And this is where it all comes together. In the past, waves of Jew hatred and anti-Semitism did not arise from something that those who were hated actually did. It arose from a crisis in the society of those doing the hating. And in an age of crisis, especially a crisis of identity, when we're no longer sure who we are, what we stand for, we desperately need certainties. And there are few greater certainties in this world than that the Jews did it. And so the Zionists are designated as a collective group, which happens to coincide with the group previously known as Semites and Jews, they are then ascribed the most loathsome qualities of our time by appealing to the great authority of our era, and then they are slowly subject to a process designed to strip them of the means of resisting their ultimate role as scapegoat for the crisis of the era. And when that process would be complete, the scapegoat could finally be sacrificed in the vain hope that, in doing so, a better world would emerge. It never does. And this is why the topic of this debate is not just another topic. It raises the very specter that we might be a society on the precipice, which is why we are here today, in the hope that some of you will see the deep insidious undercurrents, so that this time we will not have to wait to see where anti-Zionism leads, and only then look back in hindsight and say, ah, yes, that rising wave of anti-Zionism was indeed the new form of anti-Semitism.
4: Aina, thank you. And to our final speaker, who is our second speaker against the motion, Mehdi Hassan. Mehdi is a journalist, a broadcaster... Critic of Israel, he's a host on Al Jazeera English, and he's a columnist on the US online magazine The Intercept. Maybe the floor is yours for ten.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, we have been witnessing tonight a deeply cynical proposition, uh, deliver a farago of straw men, distortions, deflections, false accusations, and of course, straight-up pro-Israel propaganda. Then again. Hearing Melanie Phillips come here and champion the rights of gays in Israel in order to defend Zionism was well worth the entry ticket in and of itself. (laughs) So let's be clear about what this motion is tonight, because it's the motion you all have to vote on in good conscience. The motion says, quote, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. It doesn't say some anti-Zionists are anti-Semites, which is true. It doesn't say anti-Zionism can sometimes turn into anti-Semitism which is true. It doesn't say that anti-Semites often use anti-Zionism as cover, as an excuse for their bigotry and racism, which is true. I wouldn't oppose any of that. But that's not what the motion says. The motion says, ridiculously, sweepingly, offensively, ahistorically, that anti-Zionism is (laughs) anti-Semitism. That merely being opposed to Zionism, a political ideology, remember, is inherently, by definition, ipso facto, anti-Semitic. Which is absurd. Think about the implications of voting for that tonight. You'd be saying every anti-Zionist, every anti-Zionist, is a bigot, a racist, and an anti-Semite, by definition. Even the many Jewish and Israeli anti-Zionists. So Elam, Jewish historian, born and raised in Israel, served in the Israeli military. He's an anti-Semite. That's what they want you to believe. That's what they want you to vote for tonight. So is the former Speaker of Israel's own Parliament, the Knesset, Avraham Berg. Melody would say he's a self hating Jew. So is my intercept colleague Naomi Klein, the acclaimed author and climate change activist. So is Noam Chomsky, he's an anti Semite as well. They want you to vote for them and say that the thousands of Haredi, ultra orthodox, anti Zionist Jews who oppose Zionism for religious theological reasons, they're anti Semites too. That's what they want. That is what they are asking you to vote for tonight. It's absurd and it's ahistorical. Don't take my word for it. Listen to the 35 top Israeli Jewish scholars and academics, historians of the Holocaust, who came together just a few months ago and published an open letter in which they wrote, and I quote, Many victims of the Holocaust opposed Zionism. On the other hand, many anti-Semites supported Zionism. It is nonsensical and inappropriate to identify anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism." End quote. Are they anti-Semites too? Really? All 35 of them? By the way, in terms of the history they refer to in their letter, it is an undeniable, indisputable fact that many, many European anti-Semites, as Ilan alluded to, did support Zionism at the outset. They did embrace the founder of Zionism, Theodor Herzl, because for their own selfish, racist reasons, they shared his goal of treating Jews as a foreign, separate nation and getting them out of Europe. Take British Foreign Secretary Arthur Balfour, author of the 1917 Balfour Declaration, in favor of Zionism. Balfour dismissed Jews as, quote, an alien and hostile people. He sponsored legislation to keep Jewish refugees out of the U.K. The only Jewish member of the cabinet at that time, Sir Edwin Samuel Montague, opposed the Balfour Declaration and called Zionism a mischievous political creed. Yet apparently, according to the proposition tonight, Montague's the anti-Semite and Balfour isn't. That's the madness that you're going to vote for tonight. This motion is not just ahistorical, not just absurd, not just offensive. It's a distraction. It's a dangerous distraction from the very real and murderous anti-Semitism that is on the rise, and that comes not from the left, not from anti-Zionists, not from the BDS movement, as Melanie would have you believe, but from a resurgent far-right. In Germany, according to official figures, in 2017, nine out of 10 anti-Semitic hate crimes were carried out by far-right or neo-Nazi groups. I live in the US, two synagogue attacks in the space of six months, 12 innocent Jewish worshippers murdered in cold blood by far-right white nationalists. And yet the proposition tonight, like the Netanyahu government, like the Trump administration, want you to ludicrously believe that the threat to Jews right now, the real rise in the new anti-Semitism, comes from the anti-Zionists, from the BDS movement, from the Palestinians, and not from the murderous far-right, when the irony is that Netanyahu, Prime Minister of the world's only Jewish state, has been cozying up to some of the worst anti-Semites on the right, who also happen to be proud Zionists. Let's be clear about that. Many of the most prominent, influential, right-wing anti-Semites today, Donald Trump, Viktor Orban, Steve Bannon, they're not anti-Zionists, they're hard-right, hardcore Zionists and powers of Netanyahu. Let's also just deal with some of the canards we've heard tonight from the proposition. Adap mentioned that it's anti-Semitic to suggest Israel is born in sin. Every black American I know says to me and says to everyone else that the United States was born in sin. Slavery was a sin at the start of the United States. No one accuses them of being anti-white racists or anti-American racists. It's just a statement of historical fact. They say the proposition that when you oppose Zionism, you're denying Jews and no one else a right to self-determination, which is just flat false. Not every nation or ethnic group wants a state, gets a state, has a state. Ask the Kurds, ask the Catalans, ask the Scots. There are more than 5,000 ethnic groups in the world today, but only 193 member states of the United Nations. Take the Druze, an Arab ethnic minority group. 100,000 or so live in Israel. Do they have a right to self-determination? If they create a Druze state inside of Israel, is Anat okay with that? If Anat says, no, you can't have a Druze state, is she racist towards the Druze? National self-determination doesn't always correspond with statehood. Melanie says, it's not racist for the Kurds to aspire to statehood. She's right, it's not. But the flip side of that is true as well. The British government, the American government, most of the EU governments do not support Kurdish statehood. Does that mean the British government, all of us, are racist towards the Kurds? People have legitimate debates about where state lines should be drawn, which states should be created, how those states exist. It's not racism or bigotry to have that legitimate day. It can be, but it's not by definition. The issue is not whether uh, Jews deserve a homeland or have a historic connection to the land of Palestine. Of course they do. The issue is whether those historic and religious claims justify creating and expanding a Jewish majority state in which one ethnic group is privileged over another, while another group is permanently disenfranchised, dispossessed, and subjected to endless military occupation. That's what we're here to oppose tonight. Nothing more, nothing less. And has the proposition even stopped to ask what it means to say to that oppressed group, the Palestinian people, to say to them, You're either a Zionist, you either subscribe to the ideology of your oppressor, or you're a racist. What kind of choice is that? (laughs) Melanie says tonight that denying Jewish nationhood is racist, it's anti-Semitic. And yet she has no issue erasing the Palestinian people from the face of the planet. She said in her speech that only the Jews have a unique right to nationhood and statehood in that part of the world not the Palestinians. What is that? Is that not bigotry? Is that not racism? Is that not wiping a people off the face of the planet? But this is what you'll be voting for tonight if you vote for the proposition. This is what the Israeli, pro-Israeli argument has always been, to silence the Palestinians, to silence their opposition to occupation, to silence their resistance as Palestinian citizens living inside of Israel to a nationalistic ideology which treats them like second class citizens, which denies them many of the rights and privileges of the majority. And one thing I want to make clear to you tonight, you don't have to be an anti-Zionist to vote with me and Elan tonight. You don't even have to be a critic of Israel. You can be the biggest supporter of Israel in the world and vote with the opposition. All you have to be is someone who recognizes that it is an egregious smear, a naked slur, to claim, to label those of us Jews and non-Jews alike who oppose a political ideology in good faith because we think it's unjust, iniquitous, oppressive, to label us as anti-Semites for holding that political view. All you have to be is someone who recognizes that the claim that we hate or are opposed to Jews simply because we don't agree with the idea of a state that privileges one group over another makes us racists. So let me repeat, to be clear, Tonight's debate is not about Israel per se. It's not about whether you support or oppose Israel or the occupation. It's about whether you believe the proposition have made the case that those of us who oppose Israel in its current form, who oppose the political ideology underpinning it, that we're racists. That's the bar that has to be crossed tonight. It's that simple. And I'll tell you this for free. Those of us who value our free speech who don't want to see anti-Semitism cynically weaponized by supporters of Israel, who oppose that ideology of Zionism in good faith with good reason, we will not go quietly into the night. We will not be silenced. We will not be bullied we will not be cowed, we will not be smeared. So ladies and gentlemen, stand with us against this unjust, inaccurate, irresponsible, dishonest, ludicrous, simplistic, sweeping motion which conflates Judaism, a great and ancient religion, with Zionism, a very modern political ideology, and in doing so risks emptying anti-Semitism of all meaning. Ladies and gentlemen, stand with us tonight, oppose this awful motion.
4: Thanks all for listening, and thank you to all four of our panellists for absolutely brilliant opening speeches. Now, it is time to announce the result of the vote taken as you were coming in, and before you'd heard a word of those speeches. For the motion, 15%. Against the motion, 59%. Undecided, 26%. So I'll repeat that. The motion, obviously, anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. For that motion, 15%. Against, 59%. Undecided, 26%. Now, we're going to move on and have um, some discussion with the panellists. And I want to come back to, um, to Melanie, because we haven't heard from her for a while. And just put, we'll just do a couple of questions up here, and then we're going to throw it open to all of you uh, on the floor. Um, So, Melanie, why don't you deal with this um, charge from the other side um, that you're attempting to silence a moral position?
5: Well, um, Mehdi uh, says that uh, we've produced straw men. I I find it a surreal experience having listened to him because he misrepresented uh, everything that I had said. He went on and on about how um, you have to vote with him because... We, i.e. I, have said that anyone on that side is an anti-Semite and racist. I'm sure you, ladies and gentlemen, heard me say very explicitly that I was certainly not saying that. I draw an extremely important distinction between anti-Semitism and anti-Semites. I said explicitly that by no means everybody who supports anti-Zionism is an anti-Semite. By no means everybody who supports anti-Semitism is an anti-Semite. People support stuff that they believe to be true because they are ignorant, they're ill-informed, they're ideological, for a variety of reasons. I can't see into people's souls. I am sure that Mehdi Hassan and Ilan Pape are both deeply honorable men. I would not presume to say what is in their minds or what their motivation is. I do not presume to say that people who support anti-Zionism and who would wish to deprive the Jewish people of their rights to live in their own homeland are anti-Semites. I am saying something different. I am saying that the discourse is fundamentally anti-Jew. Why? Not because Israel, uh, the Jews alone are entitled to a state in the land of Israel. Again, Mehti says, I said that. I certainly did not say that. You, ladies and gentlemen, will have heard me say explicitly and in terms that the Israelis have always, always agreed to share the land with the Palestinians. Right, so they have been offered. They have been offered a state of their own in 1936, in 1947, and on repeated occasions in the 2000s. And their response has been to the offer of a state of their own, living in peace and harmony alongside the Jews of Israel. Their response has been terrorism and war. I would dearly love to see that happen. A state of the Palestinian Arabs living side by side. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's another story. But it is simply a wicked lie to sit here and grotesquely reverse what I have said. Melanie, uh, We, we, we we've heard that. Now,
4: Ilan, coming to you. You talked about ethnic cleansing of the Palestinians. Deal with the point about the inequality of Jews in the Arab world.
2: I can deal with... First of all, the Jews were treated in the Arab world much better than they were, than they were in the Christian world. Far better. Far better. And, and, it, and especially especially in countries such as...
4: Can we just hear the speaker, please?
2: Especially in countries such as Iraq, in Egypt, and Morocco. Until the rise of Zionism, Jews were holding positions of power Jews led secular, rich, and religious life, and all this fabric that was holding on for centuries was broken down first by the Zionist ideology that told Jews in the Arab world that they do not belong to the Arab world, and by a reaction by fanatic Arab nationalism saying, okay, so you have to decide whether you are Zionists or you are Jews. Okay, thanks so for that. This, this is historically... Right, we move on.
4: Um, and at, can you deal with Medi's point, please, that, um, that you and Melanie are suggesting that every anti-Zionist is a bigot and a racist, that this is a naked slur?
6: That is such a simple rhetorical trick. Make things sound so extreme, so outrageous, and then people say, oh, that's not wh- what we meant. That's not where we... Said. The motion is very clear. And again, This is not an academic debate. The topic here tonight is not just anything, any policy. This is about people's lives here. And today, in effect, in the UK, in the West, anti-Zionism has become the respectable, shiny way of being anti-Semitic. Because we already have... And the reason that people want to separate the two is because they need the cover of respectability to continue to gain adherence. If you knew it was anti-Zionism, you would reject it. Because anti-Semitism, you would reject it because you would know where it leads. But as long as it's presented to you as something rational, and remember, anti-Semitism in the beginning also appeared rational. It was also supported by elites. It thrived in universities. Nobody thought it would lead where it led. Because that's how it gained adherence, by people thinking that it was different, that it was new. And this is what we're seeing. We're seeing a concerted effort to maintain the respectability of that position so that the process of dropping our defenses can continue.
4: Thanks for that. Um, and, and, maybe one for you. Can you just deal with Melanie's point, the distinction between anti-Semite and anti Semitism. Yeah. The suggestion
3: that yeah. there's a discourse that is yeah, fundamentally yeah, yeah. anti-Jew. I can't deal with it. You'd have to ask Melly to deal with it because it makes no sense to me. The idea <laughs> that you can say... The idea, I'm sorry, when we talk about academics and real life, let's get away from university also, if, with, with respect, Elan. Um, <laughs> the idea that you say, let's all vote tonight that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism and then I say I'm an anti-Zionist and you say, but you're not an anti semite That makes no sense. Capitalism is something you say you're a capitalist. I mean, this is, this is pedantry to try and pretend that you can go after the ideology but not the people who identify with that ideology. Uh, it's absurd to say that. By the way, uh, Einat mentioned that it's a rhetorical trick uh, to do that, which is a nice line, but then she literally in the next sentence went on and said, unless my ears are deceiving me, anti-Zionism has become a respectable, shiny way of being an anti-Semite. So I'm an anti-Semite who's using anti-Zionism in a respectable, shiny way. Why don't just come out and say it? I don't know why you're hiding it. <laughs> call me an anti-Semite.
4: Are oh, you really an anti an Am I an
3: anti-Semite? Because I say I'm Aina, an anti semite I know you're not, Melanie. Are all Aina, the Palestinians Aina, anti-Semites? You. Because they're all anti-Zionists. <laughs> just say it. Be brave. Be brave. Say it.
4: Right. We're going to open this no to office. the floor now. No uh, Unless you want to answer in it.
2: Right? Absolutely.
6: People who think that the Jews alone have no right to be masters of their fate, who want us yet again to be powerless, to go back to how we used to be, there is only one name for that. I'm not making it personal, but yes, I am here today precisely to fight the veneer of respectability that anti-Zionism has, because I I don't want to wait to see where it leads. People waited too long thinking that anti-Semitism in Europe was scientific, was respectable. We We, know where that led. I don't plan to wait again. We've heard that point. Right,
4: it is time to hear from um, all of you now. So uh, let's have number one and number two and uh, number three. So let's just go in that order one first. Thank you. Speakers, uh, for the motion,
1: I'd like to ask you uh, to comment on Nagba and how do you think Palestinians should be dealing with um, the consequences of Nagba. Thank you.
4: Um, Thank
6: you. And um, down at number one. Hi. Um, Well, to paraphrase Brett Stevens and and Peter Beinart, anti-Zionism is is not anti-Semitism, but it might as well be, practically speaking. But we're, we're dealing with a lot of semantics here. And my question is, uh, I'm having a little identity crisis. I'm Jewish. I'm a Zionist. I'm deeply troubled by 1948. I wouldn't call it ethnic cleansing, Mr. Papay. Um, it was a strategic choice. We need to do... Okay. It was Can a strategy question, because please? it was a time of war. My question is, why are we... This is almost masturbatory, you should pardon the expression. What is the solution? We're all thinking kind people. What is the solution? Who's your for question to? All of
4: them. Okay, I'm going to <laughs> ask that one. So that one could be for Ilan. Yeah, number three, please.
2: Hi, just want to, this is a question for uh, the opposition. Why is uh, Israel singled out as a human rights violator in the United Nations, by the Labor Party, by many other entities? Uh, as compared to so many egregious violators of human rights, including in the Middle East? Why is it consistently singled out? Is that not a form of anti-Semitism?
4: Thank you for, thank you for asking the question. That's great. So, um, Eina, I want to hear from you first on, on the question of Nakba, which is, um, who would like to just define Nakba the best for us? Ilan, you're the historian.
2: Yeah, the Nakba is an operation of ethnic cleansing which was a systematic expulsion of the Palestinians in order to de-Arabize Palestine and create, on its ruins, uh, a Jewish state. In 1948. The, 1948. In 1948 but, okay, thank no, you. No, no. It's important to say, the Nakba continues because only 50 percent of the people were expelled. And only 80% of the land was taken. The Nakba continues every day in Gaza, in Nablus, in the Galilee, in the Nakab. And we should have a discussion about the destruction of Palestine and not about the nonsense that we're hearing here tonight.
4: Obviously, this is the Palestinian term for what happened in 1948. It means catastrophe. Einat, I'm not sure if you accept that definition we just heard from Ilan. But anyway, deal with the question. That was
6: not a definition. Okay, you... But... uh, The story is very simple. The Arabs of the land, the Palestinians, could have had again and again and again a state of their own. They could have had it in half of the land, in 80% of the land. But every time when they were told, you can be masters of your fate in part of the land, But in another part, the Jews will be masters of their fate, no longer inferior to you, no longer submitting to you. Their choice again and again and again to the present has been to fight for all. They have again said, if we have to live next to sovereign Jews, better to fight until they are not there at all. And I will say this again. When you fight us, we... Three years after a genocide, and you wage a genocidal war, telling us that we have no right to defend yourself, then we will fight you back. We will defend ourselves, okay. and right we are not going leaving leaving to lose. Leave that there. Yeah. That's enough. But nothing. if you are telling us no, that no, it is you've all made your point, point. Nothing, made a point. Then so, you sometimes have nothing.
4: Um, maybe. Why is Israel singled out.
3: Yeah, I don't accept the premise of the question, obviously. It's interesting you should say that Israel singled out. There's a little R going out. Well, if you're watching this on YouTube, go back on YouTube and see that the first Intelligence Squared debate I did was not about Israel. I came here a few months ago to talk about the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia and its human rights abuses. So before I even turned up for Israel, I came to condemn Saudi Arabia. And, on, and this, I get it, I get it. There are lots of UN resolutions uh, condemning Israel. I get that. But if you look at actual practical sanctions... There are no sanctions on Israel from Western countries for human rights abuses. There are against Syria, there are against Russia, there are against Iran, there are against North Korea. So, no, I don't think Israel's being singled out. I'd actually like to see sanctions put on Israel so it's treated like other human rights abuses. Consistency, single standard.
4: Right, right. I I, I want to give everyone on the panel an opportunity to, to answer the question that we had from down here, which was, what is the... Solution. So a moment for optimism,
5: but but literally only a moment each. Melanie, can you go first? Two sentences, please. Uh, What is the solution? It depends on what the problem is. If you define the problem in the Middle East as a contest between two people with the rights to the land over the boundaries of that land, then you end up precisely where we are. But in my view, that's not the situation at all. The real situation is different. If you want a solution to the real problem, you have to stop... The hundred year attempt to exterminate Israel as a nation state of the Jewish people and to exterminate the right of the Jews to live in Israel as their own sovereign country. That is what the situation is in the Middle East. However, you like to reframe it, that is what the problem is. If you want a solution, you have to stop people trying to to commit a a, a genocidal assault upon the right of the Jews to live in their own country. Once you stop that, you've got the solution. Thank you.
4: Ilan, what is the solution? If you could just give me two sentences, I'd be grateful.
2: The only viable solution is to change a reality where between the River Jordan and the Mediterranean, you have now 12 million people, 6 million Palestinians without any human rights and civil rights, and 6 million Jews with all the privileges in the world. Only one state that ensures equal rights for everyone regardless of their nationality, religion, race, or gender, is the only solution. And the return of the refugees that Uh, have been expelled.
6: Yes, because the region is known for having so many of those states. Uh, The only response is for the Arab world to finally say something very simple. Welcome home to accept us as an indigenous people who are in their land, to accept us as equal claimants to the land, not exclusive, not superior, but people have an equal right to finally be masters of our fate in a land of our own, in part of the land, next to Arabs who will be masters of their fate in part of the land. That's the Small only way to that. live and, together.
3: Uh, okay. <laughs>
6: and And Medes.
3: I'm always amused, Aynap made a crack in her speech, and now again, that we know what binational states are like in the Middle East. I'm always amused when Israelis say this, because last time I checked, 20% of the Israeli population is Palestinian, so it's already a binational state. We just want to give the Palestinian part of that state equal rights. Every year, Arab MPs, Palestinian citizens of Israel in the Knesset, almost every year, put a bill forward to turn Israel into, quote, a state for all its citizens. And every year, the president of the Knesset, last year we did it, will not allow it to even reach the floor for deliberation. So tonight, I ask Eynat Melanie, do you support an Israel for all its citizens? Because I do. We can call it Israel, call it whatever you want, but just give it a state for it all its is citizens. It's a
6: state of all its citizens. No, it's not. It's very simple. In fact, in fact, they Israel, lit- you is a blocked. state of all, all its citizens. They literally blocked a bill.
3: The Supreme, the court, blocked the bill. You're the the Supreme court blocked the bill. You're gaslighting, Eynat. The Supreme Court blocked the bill to make it a state of all its citizens. You know that. You're a former member of the government. Uh, Okay, you've both had your your
4: say on that. So it is time now to announce the final vote uh, count. And a reminder that our motion this evening was anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. A reminder also that we began the evening with 15% for the motion, 59% against the motion, and 26% undecided. After 90 minutes of debate... We end as follows. 19% for the motion, 76% against the motion, and 5% undecided. So the motion this evening has been defeated. This House does not believe that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism.
0: What are you doing right now?